What's up, gamers? Welcome to Battle Mallet Podcast Episode 8, Arcane Implosion. And we'll get into why the episode is named that later. Uh, this is a podcast delving into the minds of four busy gamers, uh, chronicling their annual journey to the Nova Open Convention, uh, the games that they play and love, and balancing life with those games. I'm Jared. I'm Trace. And I'm Jason. And we don't have Danny again. Yeah, homeboy got sick. So um, he said in a chat this week that he could record, but it would sound like a goose that had learned to speak English, um, <laughs> which does not sound like good radio. Um, so he's opting to get some rest. Um, so uh, so we're recording without him. Uh, so in this episode, we've got a recap of Trace's tournament. Um, it went well. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, Jason interviewed David Cutts, who's running the SoCal Open Underworlds tournament. Um, grand coming, clash. It's a grand clash. It's a two-dayer. It's uh, in sunny California in October. Um, and then the last section we've got is a hot dice section. You know where we talk about you know current events, what's in the news, um, and we're doing a lightning round. Uh, and the reason it turned into a lightning round is that we've been hitting some uh, arcane implosions with my a new uh, with my new digs. So the move is all done. I'm in the new place, and for whatever reason, uh, Skype and my connection do not get along. And I'm looking at things now. Oh, I hear some noises, so I, I'm still recording. So we're good there. Um, so at any point, <laughs> I disturbances could in the machine spirit, sir. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so, uh, but without Danny here, you know, we kind of cut loose a little and talk a little bit more about Underworlds, but we, we try to keep the episode a little short. But before we jump into all that, uh, what's everybody been up to? Trace? I've been painting. Yeah, you have. Yeah, I've been You gotta painting. get that stuff on the, on, the, on the interwebs, man. I will, I will. Um, our I've our been... seven loyal listeners want to see your pictures. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I've been painting a lot. Um made some really good progress on my night list for our other doubles thing that we're doing, which is the 40K narrative double stuff. Um, we originally were going to do some demons and demon engines and stuff like that, but Jerry was like, I really want to play my Grey Knights. And I was like, okay. So I um, ponied up and, and bring in some knights of my own um, in the form of Imperial Knights. But I've been working on those. They're looking pretty sweet. Um, testing out some of the new contrast paints on some of those too in different ways. Um, but I'll post pictures of those. I also did um, some contrast paint tests on some other models. I've got oh, some. I don't, I don't believe you because I don't have any pictures on the internet. Well, I'll put them mm. up there. Mm. Um, painted Snurk, Snurk Sour Tongue in about an hour and 15 minutes. Not with only contrast paints, but using contrast paints as like foundation paints. Um, he turned out really, really good. Um, I also started messing with the rest of the Goblin War Band. Um, painted the squigs. The squigs were super easy with the contrast stuff. So, um, but I will post pictures of all that stuff on the on the Facebook page um, within the next day or two. So, sweet. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Um, Cool. Overall, you're liking contrast. Yeah, overall, I th- I think, you know, for me, it's not it's not a 
it's not a replacement. It's just another tool in the toolbox. Um, I've been playing with it in just varying capacities. I'm actually, and I'll show this in the pictures, but I'm using it to like make a really cool like weathered gold effect on the trim for my Imperial Knight. I'm painting it silver first and then using a lighter silver to kind of like stipple on lighter shades of silver. And then I'm going through and using um, Nasdrag yellow, which is like a real brownie yellow color and snakebite leather to really make it look kind of mottled. It's really, it's really pretty. It's not a, not a traditional gold. Um, it's not perfect, but it's definitely interesting, which is all I really care about. So, and, and it's painted. And it's painted, yeah. 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 I'm fighting the hordes of gray, one one nice. model at a time. Yeah. So my hobby progress has been it's been fairly light. Um, definitely been spending a lot of time at work, unfortunately, but uh, did manage to get some games in of Underworlds against both Trace and Jared and Jeffrey. Um, playing Eyes of the Nine, so still enjoying the eyes. Um, you know, I also spent some time uh, at Dark Bunny Studios working out uh, the paint scheme to try to get it to match as close as possible with the Crimson Fists. Um, I think Val, Phil, and Corey over there are going to do a fine job at at bringing that army to Dark Bunny Studios' kind of high-contrast um, paint style, uh, as well as getting some base coats and mid-tones that match the armor for the Crimson Fist. So they're definitely going to be di- different, um, but I, I do think that they're going to they're gonna blend well and highlight the army. Uh, and then also, you know, the podcast is about balancing life and games as we love them. Uh, it was Father's Day here, uh, you know, a week ago. And I had the wonderful pleasure of my wife taking time to play Underworlds with me for two whole hours. No. Yes. We, uh, it was fun. Like we got up in the morning, she made breakfast and she's like, uh, babysitter will be here in two hours. We're going to go play games, any game you want. And you know, if I'm being honest, had I known that this was going to happen, I probably would have picked a board game. You know, like a pretty standard, like trains, um, trains to, or ticket to ride, uh, something like that. Where, but I just didn't have a whole lot of time to read through rules and refresh to give her a good fun experience. So we played the scaled down version that I play with my daughter um, of Underworlds. We she took me to the shop. We sat there for two hours and and rolled dice. And by Garnet, didn't she? Uh, she beat me the second game. Uh, she played orcs against Godshorn Hunt, and and uh, she made a couple good moves to get on objectives. And my dice last die roll for me to win the game failed, and and she won by one glory. So that's awesome. That's a awesome. Lot of fun. That is a lot of fun. I had no idea that happened. Yeah, Jared did only because Sarah called him. <laughs> ah. <laughs> This is this is what happens when you live in the south. You don't live north of the wall. Yeah. No, I didn't. It was it was really cool. It was a great overall great Father's Day weekend, and that was kind of like icing on the cake. And just wanted to save that moment for a time like this to share. Oh. Somebody's got to protect you, softies, from the grumpkins and snarks. No, well, that's <laughs> fair. Well, we appreciate your efforts on the wall, Trace. Um, I have done nothing. 
Um, I have moved a bunch yes, of boxes. <laughs> Bought a house, I guess that counts. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you you painted. You painted. Well, not. What did, what did you paint? Not really. Night before we had our dinner. Um. Nothing. I painted <laughs> nothing. I completely replaced a sink in the old house. Uh, right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't. That. I don't get it. There was a so. In the old house, the house that I, that we moved out of, there was a sink that had some corrosion. And it was, to me, to replace that sink with a new sink. And then I looked at the installation of the old sink, and it was grouted and and um, caulked. And there was no way that I was going to be able to get it done in the amount of time that I thought that I was going to get it done. So instead, I sanded off the corrosion, and I brought bought some flat-back Krylon primer. Mm-hmm. And masked off the sink and spray painted the uh the faucet and how did progress it looked pretty darn good i gotta be honest so it's funny how our hobby thing you know talents just creep up in everyday life it is i was there was a part of me that was really sad that i didn't have my airbrush handy because that would have been really nice but (laughs) um but yeah i didn't tell you guys the other day too you know my son's first birthday was the beginning of june and you know sarah brought home his cake and it was all it was not it was a little broken and she was all down in the dumps so i took uh like the bow was falling off like it was supposed to be like mr wonderful and he had like a bow on the cake for like a bow tie Mm -hmm. so i took uh hobby supplies my clippers and and steel rod and and my little my little uh, drill and drilled holes in put steel rods into this bow and like put it into the cake <laughs> and she's like where do you even come up with this stuff i'm like ah if you only knew how i i have fixed little miniature men together <laughs> that's awesome so so yeah it's just cool yeah. cool you, you replace the sink i create a cake all with hobby supplies hobby skills man <laughs> yeah every everything is practice um yeah but I, i'm i'm looking forward to getting getting back into painting um, the, the bonus room that, uh, that will be where I hobby, uh, that I'm currently sitting in now, um, is still without furniture. So Ikea messed up our order. Oh no. Um, oh, so geez, it, Louise. so we, we were supposed to get it the Monday after father's day. So th- about a week ago, um, and that didn't happen. So it's supposed to come the following Monday. We have gotten more phone calls so far this week, um, about the furniture and its delivery than we did the prior week. So I think there's a good chance that we'll actually see the furniture, uh, but we'll see. Well, good. Yeah. So, um, I think that's it. I will. I will say that in Danny's absence, he's been painting a bunch of Lord of the Rings miniatures. Yeah. So for yeah. those of you guys who are interested in what Danny's working on, um, he's painted a bunch of, um. Men of Gondor. So, yep. He's he's ramping up for Nova. Yeah. So yeah, he's getting all that ready. Cool. Anybody? Anybody? Got any other progress? No, I think we should go into the next segment where we hear about Trace's tournament. Sweet. Yeah. Well, we'll take a break and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. To another cracked glass section with 
my two two buddies, Trace and Jared. So you know, we won't ramble too much tonight. Um, but uh, we do have some great tournament recap action going on because Trace took took his war band out west, North Carolina, to his hometown and, and played in a tournament. So Trace, what war band you take with you? Uh. So I took a warband that I hadn't really played a whole lot of, um, which was um, Storm Sires, because I was just itching for something a little different. And... Sell out. Oh, whatever. <laughs> um, it really was just because like I had been kind of familiar with them, and my dwarves are in pieces upstairs right now to be painted, and oh, these were already kind of... They're just already put together, and so I just did a really quick paint job on them and took those with me. Um, <clears throat> By dwarves, you mean sky dwarves? The sky dwarves, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I I thank Matt and the crew out there for for hosting that event, and it was nice to get some games with some old friends in. It was nice. Yeah, how many people were there? Uh, there ended up being. 10 but the 10 was kind of so we had some people come in late so there was like a it was kind of wonky because we had some people that ended up having like just two rounds in the tournament they still wanted to play and you know matt was happy to have them so um it was really nice of him to accommodate those people who those folks who came in one of them was one of my buddies that i grew up with um and he actually brought his um five-year-old six-year-old no, oh, five man. five year old and they played together and um it was just really really funny to hear <laughs> to hear campbell say yeah dad i beat you what now like that it was it was classic <laughs> <laughs> and i said you know you're never gonna live that down and i said it's okay i'll get mine in a couple of years i'm sure but <laughs> um but it was a lot of fun um yeah, eight people, eight people throughout the whole thing, really. Yeah. Um, but it was uh, it was more of a grand clash style format, so it was three rounds each. Um, it was just three rounds total. We wanted to do four rounds, but there was another event that was got that got scheduled that kind of cut it short, so we ended up doing just three rounds, um, best of three for each round. Um, first. My first matchup, I ended up playing um, the guy who actually taught all of us, all of my group of friends, um, how to play Warhammer Fantasy whenever I first started playing miniatures games. Uh, his name's Hank. Um, and he was playing the uh, uh, Fire, Fire Slayers Warband. Yeah, the Fire Slayers Warband. So <clears throat> going into it, I was like, okay. I know from playing Jason with the dwarves pretty frequently, I know that if you can get Grimnir inspired, even just inspired, he's dangerous. Um, and so I had to kind of play a little more cagey, which is something that I needed to learn to do anyway. Because most of the warbands that I've played have been super just aggressive, and that's just play style that I like and so I played something a little different so I played a little bit more of a kind of a balanced magic-y but can still kind of kick you in the face 
if you get into my territory um, Storm Sires list. Um, and I can pull up the list in just a second and go over it. But um, <clears throat> basically, first game, he, he won board placement, so I placed my first board. He lined me up kind of catty corner, so he wanted to. He put me in a choke point. It wasn't a full choke point, but it was. It was kind of. I think we had four X's in between. Um, <clears throat> and he set up his models pretty aggressively, so that kind of told me from the get go, kind of what the goal was for him was to try and get across the board and kick my teeth in. Um, <clears throat> but his first. I went. I drew the first activation, and I empowered one of my. I think I empowered Rastus first because I knew he had cleave, which would be useful um, for the for the whole game. So I, that was my first action. I drew drew my power hand. It was pretty nice. I had um, harness the storm and quick thinker. Not quick thinker. Oh, good lord. Um, the cheaters card that everybody's playing now. Um, calculated risk. Calculated risk. Yeah, I drew harness the storm, calculated risk, and superior tactician. So I, let let's pause like pause there before you get into all the interactions. So just to go over the deck, which is different for for Trace, is like historically play has played. Uh, 100% aggro, like very dice-reliant type game. So for you, I think uh, the idea of going in with Storm Sires was uh, more flexible and you weren't as reliant on dice. And then you could be... It's a little more forgiving, right? Like some of those score immediately. But your, your deck, uh, for our listeners, uh, real quick, was Change of Tactics, Escalation, Superior Tactician... Mm-hmm. Shining, shining example, harness the storm, magical supremacy, calculated risk, fired up, magical storm, solid gains, sorcerer scouring, and strong start. So, correct. A, a lot of, a lot of casting in there, um, but a pretty, a pretty. Uh, it was pretty balanced. Like pretty it balanced wasn't storm star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't require me to do. There was a lot of things in there that didn't require me to like actually connect with anything. Um, other than potentially casting a spell. So, like, um, it, it definitely is a little bit of a different approach for me um, and having to really be a little more cagey in my play, which is good because it's something that I just need to do, and I think I played better because I had to just think and I wasn't just trying to throw myself at somebody. Yeah. Um but you know, it 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 was it was an adjustment for me because I was still trying to learn. I was still trying to learn the deck. I played it one night, one game the night before with you guys. Um, so that was kind of like a test game just to see if I could even run the deck. And I played against Jared's unbeatable, <laughs> uh, unbeatable, triple, triple. So. <clears throat> So yeah, and then gambits. We, he yeah, distraction, hidden paths, ready for action, spectral wings, spoils of battle, lightning assault, Abyssoth's unmaking, Abyssoth's withering, sphere of that actually sphere of Gur, 
and then yep. upgrades Eye of the Storm, Fanway Crystal, Glory yep. Seeker, Great Fortitude, Great Strength, Potion of Constitution, Potion of Rage, Tome of Offering, Tome of Vitality, and Well of Power. And I'm sure that Jared will post a link in the show notes so you all can follow along and not just have to pause and repause and yep. pause again. So anyway, so continue. So Hank so it, is you're at the you you've you've um you've taken one action and empowered and then Hank's going. Yeah, actually I think my actually my first activation was to do um I moved through a lethal hex to get so cheap. Yeah, uh, to get uh, calculated risk. So that was my first glory. And pushed him back. So I put Rastus up farther than I needed to initially because um, I knew that the dwarves couldn't get to me in one activation um, if Hank did go first. So my first activation, I moved him through the lethal hex, scored calculated risk, and then drew a card, you know, scored it, got a new card. Um, I can't remember what it was right off the top of my head, but <clears throat> essentially it, I just sat it started to like kind of power up and get cards and stuff for that first <clears throat> for that first round. Um, and he, on his first activation, he moved up. He moved up Grimnir, and his first power step played Inspiration Strikes, and I was like, "Oh, this sucks," because because I knew. Even though he'd already activated, and now he's moved three, right? So, if I unless I'm like all the way close to the edge of the board, he can still potentially get to me if he's got some movement tricks and stuff like that. So, um, and then with his next two powers plays, he adjusted it to where his other two fighters were on objectives, um, and he. <laughs> At the end of his his first activation, he said, "Well, these two inspire," and I said, "Actually, they don't, because the way that the the dwarves inspire, they inspire at the end of the phase." So I, I taught him something about that. But um, throughout the game, like as we started to like score cards, when I scored my calculated risk play, I scored it and drew another objective card. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "That's how you score a score immediately card." So you score it and you automatically draw up. So I like taught him a couple things to like to help him better his play. Um, ended up the first the first round. Um, I ended. I still had all all three of my fighters, and then going into the second the second round, he. Uh, this is the second round of the first game, right? Second round of the first game. He was already up close to me. Um, started to... He moved up, and I had put Amos into a position where to kind of like block a little bit, so I put him between the two blocking hexes on the board that I had, so that if he did come, he would have to like stop there or give him something to like charge into that wasn't my leader. Um he domed her, <laughs> um, which I was like, well, that sucks. So then I had to kind of shift my plan. And then once I, got, once I got him committed there, I just started to move around him. And I started to, like, shoot fireballs with with Stormsire and uh, ended up scoring pretty much all of my deck just through 
trying to like make sure that I scored three glories to get solid gains. I'd scored. I didn't. The only one I didn't score in that game was Magical Storm, but everything else I scored, um, which was really really good showing for the first time that I'd played through the deck. Um, and then going into the second game, like he was more wise to what I was doing, so he he played. He still played aggressive, <clears throat> but he hung back and tried to like inspire a little bit first, and then um, started doing his upgrades because he had some some score immediately that he was able to score with like well not, um, not he had some passive scoring like fired up and um what was the other one shining example so he was able to get some glory and start to tool up some of his fighters so he equipped going into his phase which was a little bit of an error on his part he equipped the Fainway crystal on himself and so in that pow- in my power step after that, <clears throat> I pulled up the objective that was right next to my leader because I could, you know, you kind of are able to tell where that's coming. Um, and he was like, "Dang it!" <laughs> so it was um, it was a little bit more of a cagey match, but ended up I still had Rastus and um, Stormsire at the end of that game. Amos got killed again, um, but. Again, I scored pretty much my whole deck except for Magical Storm in that in that game too. Um, but overall, first game it was really really nice. I had a lot of fun playing Hank. Um, he's actually going to go to the ATC team tournament with um, one of the guys that came up for the tournament that I ran. Um, he's really excited about doing that, and so he was playing with his deck that he was going to play there, which is not quite as efficient as it could be because of the way that that tournament is supposed to be designed where you're limited to the cards that only one the one instance of that card can be used across the whole team so but it was still a really strong deck like he still had some good stuff like inspiration strikes and um some of the other uh key aggro um warband cards um so that was a fun first round second round i ended up playing my friend ben Hey, you played, yeah. Just, just interject. So, uh, to elaborate on the ATC <clears throat> format, so for our listeners that aren't aware, American Team uh, Tournament down in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, it, you know, it's a large 40k event, and this year they're expanding that event to Underworlds. It's uh, three-player teams, and the, the difference here is, is like you play on a team, so you cannot repeat any faction or any warband <clears throat> so if i was on a team of three and i'm playing dwarfs like no one else can play dwarfs and then also one of the stipulations is you're not allowed to re- repeat any universal card so if ready for action is in my deck it cannot be in my other two teammates decks um, and then <clears throat> as you go to the event you'll have a captain and you actually have pairings so you know like your captain will put up the first warband and say Jason's playing with dwarfs and then the, the opposing team can pick whatever warband they want to play against my deck. So there's a lot of uh, strategy when it goes into pairings uh, and even more strategy when it goes into deck construction because only one person can have those really, really popular cards. Um, and I believe that event is coming up the weekend after the 4th of July. Um I believe it is the 5th, 6th, and 7th. 
of July. Um, not a hundred percent sure, but I'm ninety nine point nine percent. July twelfth sure. through fourteenth. Oh, twelfth. Okay, July twelfth. So the weekend after the fourth, <clears throat> mm-hmm. like after the fourth weekend. So twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth of July. Um, just to give them a give them a plug and to elaborate on what's going on for Shadespire Underworlds. Because um, it is growing, and it's great that it's being incorporated into that. And I'm glad that Hank had a chance to to test out that style uh, with you. So, game two. So, um, so game two, I ended up playing my my buddy my buddy Ben, who um, was playing Megor's Fiends, and he had uh, he and I have been talking a little bit back and forth about just deck construction and all on all that stuff. So. Um, his his build was pretty traditional, like very <clears throat> score immediately heavy. Um, he did have you know some of the more static scoring at the end. I think he had um, conquest and denial in there. Um, but he played really really aggressive. Um, first game, I won board placement, and so I put him. Um, I put him not all the way diag- diagonal, but just enough of a choke point to force him to come through um, and try and channel him in through one spot. But he was still really aggressive, and so he came through. Um, he came through with rip tooth, rip tooth first. Um, he actually charged me on his first activation because I kind of put him up. I put my fighters kind of midway up just to see what would happen because um, I knew that I could come back and I knew that I wasn't going to get one-shotted really unless he had like twist a knife or something like that in there. <clears throat> so I didn't know that at first, but I was banking on the fact that he probably didn't. Came through with Riptooth um, and completely whiffed on his first attack and um, I I had calculated risk in my hand my first activation move through lethal hex because it's just the cheesiest thing ever move through that <clears throat> score calculated risk upgrade storm sire with glory seeker and then my next he moved up with his with magor the next activation my next activation i shot at the dog because the dog had already attacked and i was just trying to get some extra glory score um harness the storm which is cast a spell so i got another glory so i just basically sat and waited for him to come to me um and just ended up to where i was just doing three damage a pop with storm sire and would just block with the other two guys and just started pounding him with spells with those um ended up and then on my last my second to last activation used Fainway Crystal to go into his territory just in case he had denial. He did. Um, so there was a nice, you know, uh, glory denial there for him. Um, and then second round, <clears throat> he won board placement, set me up square, um, and I ended up winning the roll off to go first. And, uh, empowered Rastus with my first activation and then in the power step he hidden paths 
the dog next to Amos, who was on my backboard edge. Um, next activation, swung, missed with the dog, and then he had something else where it allowed him to, like, no. He missed with the dog, I attacked with Stormsire, and then he my-turned me, so he pushed, he pushed the dog back into Amos and attacked again. Uh, whipped for a second time, <laughs> so he had some, some bad dice rolls. Um, ended up, so the first, the first game I ended up scoring, I think it was 16, 16 to 1 was the score in the first round. Second round was, um, ended up 18 to 5. So it was, so my, my score, you know, I won both games pretty handily, but, you know, he, he took it, he took it great, like, had some really bad dice rolls, but I was just like, this sucks. Like, I wish I could roll better. I said, I, I, I've been there, man. I understand. Um, yeah, that was one of the things why you've you've changed back to you know just more balanced. Oh, yeah. yeah, more balanced, right? Is because you you've been there, especially with fiends, where mm-hmm. when they go cold, they go they cold. go super cold. Yeah, I mean that's what happened to me last year at Nova. Like, I. I, I I've still had trouble shaking those games off from last year. Um, and then, so he, I mean, he was great and he, you know, he's a relatively new player. Like most, there's a lot of guys down there that are new. Um, and so he was asking for like feedback on like what, how he'd play different. And I said, man, there's a lot of things that you did right. And, you know, being aggressive and, trying to use your movement shenanigans to get around is a great way to just get, get, do what your warband does best, which is get in and get busy. Yeah. I mean, um, one, one, like, did he draw cards? Um, once we got later in the game and he started running out of things to do, he did, but he, most of his first activations were to try and like position a little bit to, to for, for the next turn. So like he did a good job because he like, he pushed everybody up together to where they would be like he could handle different things um, with multiple different fighters. Like if one went down, he still had other guys that could come in and like still charge. So there was no like lack of opportunity to charge there. Um, I mean, he played really well, but it was just a, <clears throat> it was, it really just came down to as all of our good games do, just some dice rolls that went cold and unfortunately his dice rolls went cold early and that allowed me to like kind of ramp up pretty quick because of the way that my deck is designed i just Uh, i mean like you know for the for the listeners out there and when you're playing fiends and your whole task is to kill murder more you know don't be hesitant to 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 just draw cards remember that once you charge barring you know second wind or ready for action mm-hmm. like that fighter is then done for the turn mm-hmm. um and most times you you know where the enemy is going to be and your deck your ploy cards are can be vital to landing those crucial attacks or doing extra damage that you need so when you're playing a warband it is my advice that an aggro warband you you look to draw cards i mean even in my my eyes of the nine, which I would not consider extremely aggro. Um, 
it is often beneficial to to just draw cards. Uh, and that, you know, with him coming in with the dog game one and him coming in with the dog game two, he kind of gave you that easy, easy fuel to, to fill the, you know, to build your, your glory pool and, and to, to stack up your fighter. So, but one of the things about storm sires just in general is like, it doesn't require me to do a whole lot to get that glory train going. So like, nope. I just have to cast a spell if I have magical storm, magical <clears throat> harness of storm in my hand, and that's a glory, and then that inspires a fighter, <laughs> yeah. which will score fired up if that happens to score if I'm if I cast a spell with storm sire and he's the one who casts the spell. I've scored three glory if I have um, harness the storm fired up and uh, shining example in my hand. So like one activation I could potentially score three glory. Yeah, so it, yeah. it, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wiggle room with the war band and I can see why it places high. I mean, you know, pretty much everywhere it goes. Cause it's just, there's just so many ways that you can play it and it doesn't rely on you. Like I kill a fighter and I've done those three things. I've got four glory. Now I'm just like sitting here waiting like balls in my court at this point. Yeah, but, um, but but after act after turn one, right? So yeah. you know, in in act in the first phase of a- activations, the first four activations, you know, maybe you do that. Like, fortunately, the you know the Stormsire crew can generate a a lot of that passive glory quickly. But at the same time, like shining example and fired up, if they were both in your same hand or end turn scoring. Mm-hmm. So if you you wait to to uh to kind of go in with whoever whatever fighter it may be the dog the uh, uh, Meg- magor like you're limiting the possibility of them of of attacking back but still glory denial it's and you know like that i'm just trying to give tips to to our listeners and it's hard you know without all the the cards and interactions but yeah. it just sounds like ben may have been a little too aggressive right off the bat and but you are right once you you know the game is a little bit like poker like once you get up in glory like make sure that you flex that that glory muscle like you can play a little less aggressive and not feed into the glory of your other yeah. warbands which is highly dependent on your meta like currently right now in north carolina i would say we're kind of aggro um based meta like there's not barely any objectives um, everyone loves the, the easy passing passive glory, but the bulk of glory is generated through, through aggro. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, great, great second game. And I know Ben, and he's a wonderful opponent. So on to the third, you go into the third round, two Oh, two Oh. Yep. And you, I believe you played orcs. So I'm I interested did. to see this, this wonderful orc deck. Cause that's counter to what we play every day. I did. Uh, I did play orcs, and having played Jared's orcs pretty consistently over the year, over the past two years, has been uh, was pretty good practice. So, <clears throat> um, my last opponent, his name was Kevin. Um, he's one of the one of the other guys that's been playing Warhammer Fantasy for forever. Um, met him a long time ago when I was in like high school. Um, still playing games. Great tactician, 
Um, and, you know, he he really knew how to drive those orcs, and they played to his play style, which is smash him and bash him, right? Um, but the thing that I learned a long time ago was watch out for Bone Cutter and ignore <laughs> ignore Ger- ignore Gerzag if you can. Um, because, you know, he can come in and get busy, but at the same time, if 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 you commit him early, and you are able to like live through the first onslaught, then you can you can kind of just move away and do what you need to do, because <clears throat> he's not super fast, and you can actually not he can still pin you in places, but you can get around him if you if you're paying attention to your movement. But um, first game. He came in really, really heavy with Gerzag because I, I just was kind of testing to see if he would. Um, so I put Amos out in front because I needed to keep Rastus back because he's my guy that has cleave, and I knew that if Amos lived and I was able to empower her, I could get her to where she was on three damage just out of the box with three hammers, which is just crazy good for <laughs> for a... For a uh, for a frontline fighter. Um, so she took one on the chin for me. She ended up, she took two damage. Uh, no, she took three damage from him first round. Um, was sitting on one. Uh, and I empowered Rastus to get cleave on him so that if I could, if I needed to, I could get him in and try and get some multiple activations off on him. Um, I'm trying to remember everything that happened in this game. Um, I my first round I put I scored harness the storm and something else to get some glory early glory, and then going into my last activation for round one, um, put the Fangway crystal on. Stormsire and bounced across the board to try and get some cheap shots on Bone Cutter. Um, <clears throat> so that was my last activation. I went in, took one shot, whiffed completely. Um, so going into turn two, I still had I won priority. So I was able to get one shot off again to try and see if I can push Bone Cutter back so he couldn't charge me. Um, did one damage, but <clears throat> he was still in charge range because of I think we I think he pushed him with somebody I can't remember, but um, Gerzag charged again and played leading by example to put to allow Bone Cutter to charge too. So there was a potentially deadly turn incoming. So um, when when he charged, he whiffed with Bone Cutter, and since I had placed um, Stormsire on an edge hex in his backfield, I had hidden pads in my hand. So when Bone Cutter came that way, um, I bounced back across the board all the way to the other side and put him in a spot where he could start to like pepper people with spells and stuff. So just played pretty cagey. <clears throat> Ended up. First game, I think I ended up scoring 12 glory to Kevin's 
seven or six. I'll, I can probably look up the tournament results in my phone, but um, it was a, it was a solid win. You know, uh, wasn't super bloody because there was a bunch of people left on the board. And then going into the second activation, I played the triple the triple damage hex board. I forgot what the name of it is. Um, and I caddy quartered the boards to where they had to come through the damage board, which I knew he wasn't going to mind to do because he was going to be trying to come through the damage hexes to inspire himself anyway. Um, ended up getting... I pulled a bunch of the spells in my hand, pulled it from the spells from my deck, and had and I kind of sat on them because I was able to score a lot of my score immediately early in the game that round. Um, and so I kind of sat on those spells and I drew a my when I scored one of my score immediately, I drew into Magical Storm, and so I was able to s- score that, which is um, casting four spells or more in a round. Um, so that was a nice two glory score there. Um, bounced around a little bit with the movement spells again, or the movement cards again, and was able to take down Gerzag. I took down um, Bone Cutter, and I took down um, um, Hacka. Um, but not before, not before Kevin killed Stormsire with Gerzag. So I left. So I was left with Rastus and Amos, and they. This just shows the strength of that warband because those two guys alone, they were inspired. So I started. I just put wound upgrades on them. Put great strength on one. So she was hitting. Amos was hitting for four, and Rastus was hitting for two with Cleave, and those two alone were able to like clear out two, two or three fighters. Um, it was just they're just super good. They're just so balanced and are able to really handle any situation as long as you really think through your options before you do it. But it was a great game, and my, I remember the first game. The reason why I wasn't able to kill anything is because Kevin rolled three defense rolls on one dice in a row and oh, rolled wow. crits every time. So he rolled one dice, rolled a crit. The next attack, he rolled one dice, rolled a crit. Next time, he rolled one dice, rolled a crit, and I was like, God, I hope that comes back around to me at some point, because it was, it was really crazy, and I, I couldn't even be mad at it. I just laughed. I was like, Are you That's kidding awesome. me right now? Um, but it was just a great, it was a great game, and um, Kevin's just a great opponent. Like I've played him in some other stuff, and he's just a very, real, just a real jovial player. So it's really easy to have a good time with him um but it was it was a lot of fun and i really thank matt for hosting it and got to have some good games in and try something different yeah that's awesome and and you did it man you finally broke the curse of the battle mallet podcast and and brought home a piece of glass uh very proud of you and and more importantly uh you know happy that you enjoyed the war band i know I know sometimes, like with the with the dice, it, it can hurt your heart a little bit. So it seems it, like it this uh, this uh, flex style of play. Uh, I shouldn't even say flex because you're not playing objectives, but this uh, non aggro style um, where you're not all reliant on the attack seemed to fit you well. So happy yeah, for you, was, man. 
it was nice because like I did I never fell out of it even the times that I did miss attacks because I missed several in a row like there was some I was just like okay that's fine like you still got other things you can do so um, it felt less I felt less shoehorned into just rolling attack dice and that was something that was really refreshing to do so yeah I'm glad Good. I'm glad I got to go and glad I got to bring home a piece of hardware for a change. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. That's our tournament recap. Before we move out of the crack last section, I do have one question for you because um, it'll it'll tie into our, our next segment. So what are your views around calculated risk in specifically how do you think it is scored because the internet is a buzz that you can score calculated risk and martyred in the same turn by moving through and then back into and killing yourself with, uh, with the, the damage hex. So how do you think calculated risk should be played? Um, I, I mean, I personally think that um, if you end your move outside of a damage hex so if you move through it and you live and you end your move outside that damage hex that's when you would score calculated risk if you move through and then back in to me that's the end of the move you're you didn't complete a move through a damage hex and live so like i can see I can see the reasoning why people are scoring it that way because they've moved through a hex and survived and then come back in and then they've score martyred. But I think rules as written, it should be you score, you would score calculated risk, but you can only score it if you don't die. So you'd score martyred or calculated risk, but you have to choose. Um, that's how I view it. Um, the internet is all playing it the other way. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's the way it should be played. Okay. Well, I'm just trying to get everyone's, everyone's, uh, opinion. Um, so appreciate that. Well, once again, congratulations on the tournament win. And, uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to have an interview, uh, with David from the SoCal open, um grand clash that's going out there in a few few uh few months so uh we'll talk to you in a few thanks and we're back um in this segment we're gonna go over an upcoming tournament and i have a very special guest um david from who will be hosting the to out at socal open um welcome Hey Jason, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, what uh, what dates are the SoCal Open? So the the SoCal Open is October twenty sixth and twenty seventh, and it's at uh, in Del Mar, California, at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Fantastic. Southern California. Yeah, that it's like by San Diego, correct? Exactly. All right, cool. Stone throw uh, from the beach. <laughs> That's what I hear, and that that's part of a, a larger event put on by Frontline Gaming, correct? Yes. Yeah, so I'm the, I'm the TO for the the Warhammer Underworlds, you know, Shadespire um, Grand Clash there at the the SoCal Open. The the, the larger event is a is a 40k major, um, and they're also having a, a, some narrative stuff, um, kill team, 
bunch of other things. Age of Sigmar major as well. Well, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So um, before we get into some questions about Underworlds, uh, you know, here at Battle Mallet, uh, we we love all things GW tabletop. So I got a few questions for you, so we can just get to know you as a gamer. Ruby. So so how long have you been in tabletop wargaming? Uh, about six years. Okay, and and how'd you get into it? What made you? Um, I so I, I stumbled across some uh, mini wargaming videos on YouTube. I was building some terrain for a D and D game. And, um, and then I was in a Pathfinder game where we literally had one combat that took three hours and I got like four activations for the whole night. And, uh, while that was potentially fun, I didn't have the greatest time. So I'm like, well, I've been watching these mini wargaming guys. So let's go buy an orc army. So I, uh, I, uh, hopped both feet in or hopped in with both feet uh, into 40 K with 40 orcs okay. in sixth edition. Orcs. Oh man, you're a wog guy. <laughs> not anymore i couldn't you couldn't pay me to push all those models across the board right now oh but they just announced today like movement trays right that's like you can group up five at a time Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh fantastic that doesn't save the back problems <laughs> no that does not uh so what you know being fairly new six years to miniature gaming like what's your favorite game or most memorable moment playing um, my favorite game is uh, right now is Shadespire. I'm trying to get back into 40k, but it's the 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 back issue, over, and three hour games is sometimes a limiting factor for me as a family dude and an entrepreneur. But uh, my favorite moment was probably um, last year at SoCal Open, uh, the Shadespire tournament, where I rolled double crit defenses twice in a row against Tony, my teammate Tony Field, who's also a, a, a blogger and a fairly prominent member of the community. And he literally lost his shit. He stood up and had to take a, a couple of rounds or t- uh, laps around the table to cool off. And it was just humorous that he's so much better than me, but those double crits and playing the game uh, just turned the tide and I was able to uh, take it, take it from him. So that, that is awesome. And that's, I mean, that's why I love the game myself is, is the dice, the credit, the crit roll, or how my daughter would say a critical role. Um, <laughs> right is is i really that's really cool that it could swing that's awesome yeah. uh, so, sorry tony you deserved it <laughs> <laughs> um okay so with underworlds like what what got you into that like what what drew you to the game uh, we had a buddy who just um who was like hey, he just kept harping on it like this game looks awesome this game looks awesome we uh we, he bought he bought everything and the kind of showed us some demo games and then we were all just was like, well, yeah, it, it does look awesome. Let's start trying it. And, um, I'm a little bit of a slow learner. So I got my butt kicked by, uh, my, my teammates for three or four months in, and then I sort of slowly managed to start pulling out some decks and some wins uh, off them. And, and, uh, I don't know that's, it's just, uh, I, I just like it that it's, you can get reps in quick. You can iterate your deck real quick. You can test things out in a in a way that is uh, it's time efficient, right? Like a 40k game takes a couple hours. Even if you're testing, you know you're going to re-rack after turn one or two. Um, it's it's tougher to the, the equate. What I like to say the equation for 40k is like a whole gymnasium floor full of little tiny little 12 point font. And on Shadespire, it's probably an 11 by 14 piece of paper. You know, like it's it's not completely solvable, but it's much 
more manageable. Yes, I would. I would agree, and it comes down to time for me as well. Like it's yeah. you can get a bunch of games in in a night, um, which is much more enjoyable. So, what's your uh, current favorite war band? Like what? Um, I don't. I've been bumping around a little bit, um, mostly uh, because watching Tony, um, he's kind of played a little bit of everything. Like I, he won our local tournament here lo- recently with uh, the the Sylvaneth. So um, I've played Sky Dwarves for a couple weeks. I just built a Cursebreaker deck, but I was playing Ghost before that. Um, I, I really do enjoy the Cursebreaker, the 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 flexibility of that warband and their toughness and. And Cursebreaker can, can just hit like a truck, right? When he gets rolling, the yeah, Sunsire can hurt his kit like a truck. Yes, they're they're very flexible. They have a lot of different play styles, so I I agree with you there. Uh, I do not like the Sivaneth because I have yet to beat Jared with his mm-hmm. wonderful triple. So yeah, it's a pain in the ass. I've been the, the dwarves really, the sky dwarves really. Um, they well, the Sivaneth are so great at. Um, scoring passively turn one or two, and then they can just upgrade and come in and wreck your face and turn you know two and three. So yeah. Uh, what about your favorite card? So it could be a ploy, gambit, objective. What's your favorite card in the game? Um, oh my god, I have it running a blank right now. Um, it's uh, act again after a charge. Uh, oh, lightning reflexes, not lightning reflexes. Oh, what is it? Uh, the act again after a second wind. Yeah, second one. That's it. That's your favorite. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, you know, I like the objective where if you roll two crits, you get two glory. So peerless fighter. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never happens, but I like it. Um, right. All right. Now onto the juicy top topic of the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, your opinion on a calculated risk. So. In a couple things, like should it be banned or should it be restricted? And then more importantly, can you score calculated risk and martyred in the same act- activation? <laughs> um, I that's sort of the, the last part is sort of a ten foot pole. Um, <laughs> like I'm not going to touch it with a ten foot pole, but the, I imagine it will be restricted. I'm not okay. sure. You know, there's a certain amount of risk. You know, and it puts most fighters within one shot range of you know any anybody with three damage. Or, or you know less, so it, there's a trade-off there. But it is so easy to score, right? And it's um, that's that's the thing. So I, it's pr- I think it should probably be restricted, um, martyred, and um, and calculated risk. I I'm not sure. I, think, <laughs> I mean, I know that Tony's been scoring it that way, and I I, I didn't even think to that it, it wouldn't be scored that way. So. I, I, I don't see of why you wouldn't be able to score it that way. Okay. I mean, everyone's entitled to the opinion. I know a lot of people out there in the community are scoring them together. Um, mm-hmm. So I just like to get everyone's like we, we here locally, we have not been playing it where you can score them together. Um, okay. Just because in the rule book, it says that like it, a score immediately is like after an action, even though it is immediately. Mm-hmm. Um much like um, change of tactics where like the whole charge has to be completed, not when you come off guard. So, mm-hmm. but we'll, so what we'll, about, so. Uh, what about if like with Reavers and you've got two damaged squares right beside each other. And uh, one of the little dangle bros runs into the first one, scores calculator risk, runs into the second one, scores martyred. 
Yeah, and that's I know that that's the way people are playing, but I would mm-hmm. I view it as like the whole move has to be completed and he must survive. So like you can it, the way that I interpret it is it doesn't mm-hmm. score until after the move action is completed and therefore you could not score both because he would be dead and not survived the move action. So oh, Okay. But fair enough, I understand that. It is, there is a lot of ambigu- ambiguity in that uh, in that card, and I'm sure that the FAQ will clear it all up. Um, I also, yeah, right. I also think that it'll it'll help kind of reel in the the power of that score immediately. So it'll still be super easy, but but um, but thanks. Yeah, the double dipping is is it makes it more egregious. Yeah. I, it is. You still got to have both cards in your hand, so I, I mm-hmm. get get it. But thanks for your opinion. Uh, I know that's <laughs> it's, it's just been a, t- a hot topic in our little group here as we uh, contemplate it. So, mm-hmm. well, awesome. So, again, you want to run us through the details of, of the event? Yeah, for sure. So, um, the SoCal Open Warhammer Underworlds Grand Clash will be held October 26th and 27th. I think it's important to note that we are doing a two-day Grand Clash, so we'll have a true undefeated winner no matter how many players show up. I mean, if there's 300 players show up, obviously we're not going to get a true winner, but um, you're going to play up to seven rounds if we need to. We'll we'll make a call on day two of how many rounds we actually need to play um, to determine a true undefeated winner. So there's not going to be this four guys go undefeated and two guys make the cut. Everybody's going to play until we have an undefeated winner. Um, So four games on Saturday, up to three games on Sunday. Um, and yeah, that's it. Information is available on, uh, frontlinegaming.org and .com, I think. And we'd love to see anybody who wants to win the Grand Clash, uh, prize package, come out and play. Well, fantastic. And we all appreciate you leading the charge in, in the two days. Um, I know that you were the, one of the first Grand Clashers to announce that. So it's, uh, very refreshing to see the community moving that way and getting a true champion for an event instead of 400 people or i'm exaggerating but 100 and some (laughs) people cutting to two so yeah it's 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 weird and you can see gw going to that two-day model too and i'm trying to convince reese that for lvo that we need to a a two-day grand clash with enough rounds for a a, an undefeated i mean yeah an undefeated champion because it's if there's a hundred people and you do four rounds, it's just it's just not cool. We wouldn't do that in 40k. You wouldn't have four or five or six people undefeated and then okay, the top two play and everybody else screw you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it doesn't reflect the the the, the especially with the way the the tiebreakers are scored in Underworlds, and it's I mean I there's a whole controversy over that part too, but. If you've gone on, you know, after four rounds and you've gone all wins, you should have a chance to play for the, all the in, all, in my mind, all the all the marbles, marbles. Yes, and I completely agree. If you've mm-hmm. won all your matches, you should still be in the dance at the end. Yep. So, yep. Um, well, fantastic. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, you know, and for our listeners, uh, get out there, frontlinegaming.org. Uh, a lot of events at the SoCal Open, not just in, in uh, Shadespire and Underworlds, uh, although we are keen to think that the Underworlds Grand Clash is the best event. So check well, it out. <laughs> check it out. And uh, once again, appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate your time. And we're back. 
So this segment is going to be a hot dice lightning round. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, I ran into some technical difficulties when we were trying to record earlier in the week. And since then, there's been a ton of information that's come out about Apocalypse. Um, there have been some leaks about uh, the Power Unbound expansion for Warhammer Underworlds. Um, Power Unbound. And the latest errata and FAQ have come out for Underworlds. Um, more information from the Journal's Handbook 2019 has come out, and Games Workshop gave us some preview information about the new Repulsor and the Scorpius uh, tank for the Admech. So we were previously planning on, you know, kind of digging a little deeper into Apocalypse and Power Unbound and the Journal's Handbook, but now with more information, we're going to kind of do a lightning round. So in, in lieu of taking forever to finish an episode, we're just going to kind of hit some highlights and go through with our thoughts, and we'll probably end up rambling anyway, because as we've mentioned, we That's don't have our timekeeper, yeah. and it's what we do. Yep. I mean, you just rambled for legitimately 45 seconds there explaining how you weren't going to ramble. Yep, see, and I, exactly. <sighs> and then you rambled about how I rambled about how I wasn't going to ramble. Remember that time where we just rambled? Nailed it. Um, so anyway, so Apocalypse. Um, a lot of information. Uh, Danny's Bay, Becca Scott, did her How to Play <laughs> Apocalypse. Um, if you haven't seen the video, you should watch it. Um, it gives a really good rundown of the different phases, kind of how actions work, and things like that. But uh, Jason, what do you think, man? It's all right. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. Is it, is it is it getting there? It's definitely getting there. I I'm excited, but like I'm not an apocalypse player. Like the few games of apocalypse I've played in the past, I can honestly say were like bad. It just was not fun to get that many models for me on the board and wait forever and then have my things die and it just seemed to lack strategy. But this like this new version, I'm I'm excited to try it out. Like, I think it's streamlining things. I really like the way that they're doing the damage, where I actually get to shoot with my my big guns or whatever unit it is. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited. I I'm curious to see how down the line maybe the D12 makes its way into other games. So yeah. So for anybody that that doesn't know what what's going on with with the apocalypse. So the, there, it's two sets of dice. So the D6 is still used for your to-hit roll. And then instead of a D6 on the to-wound roll, you're going to roll a D12. Um, and then there's an armor save roll, and depending on what kind of damage you've taken, whether it's like a small blast or a large blast, you're either going to roll a D12 to take your armor save or roll a D6 to take your armor save. Um, and so there are some units that might hit on a six or they might save on a six. And when you're first looking at that profile, you're like on a D six, this unit's only going to save on a six. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it ter turns out that's a D 12. So a six up on a D 12 uh, is better than 50% of the time. Yep. Um, so it, it adds some granularity um, to your ability to wound things um, and your ability to take armor saves, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think for, also for me, like, the way, you know, we've had a style of AP, like, we've had strength forever on weapons. We've had AP or some sort of, like, 
armor negating special rule for a very long time. This just makes like your big weapons that much more powerful. And like it allows that it allows armor like to differentiate itself. So like a space marine, I think, is actually going to feel like a space marine. On a six plus, you know, that's fifty percent chance on a normal wound, and you still have a chance when you get hit with like the mega boomstick, right? Um, where people that have no armor don't have that that same luxury when they're they're hit twice or they're hit with something with 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 a heavy damage ratio or rate and it's uh i think it's just a cool a cool play mechanic that i'd love to see expanded on and i'm cool uh excited to check it out in apocalypse so words 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 are tough they are tough (laughs) so trace any big takeaways for you um jason hit on a lot of the ones that i was going to talk about because i think we're excited about the same stuff which is like being able to play with all the units that you want to play with um it's not just limited to if you have a warlord titan <laughs> or if you have bane blades and all this other stuff like you can actually play apocalypse with all the stuff that you have and you don't feel like you're just outclassed the whole time yeah um and the way that they've designed the damage stuff i think is really really intelligent on their part because it allows you um it allows you to play with your toys before you have to pull them off the board um and then watching watching the the playthrough that Becca did, um, just the way that she describes like the command bubbles too, about how you can have units that will route if they're outside the command bubble and they've taken enough damage to like to lose casualty, like to to make, have casualties, they just run away. Um, I just think that's a really interesting way that you can kind of keep the strategy there too because you want to try and keep everybody in cohesion like your detachments in cohesion because it's activated by detachments um i don't know if we touched on this or not but every detachment activates um instead of like you activating a unit you activate a detachment and then your opponent activates a a detachment um so if you guys are interested in that stuff the the playthrough is actually really well done um so yeah but i mean i just think it's going to be a cool way to play with big things and not have feel bad experiences i think yeah um because lord knows i've got some cool stuff i like to play with right um yeah and it adds this element like you know regular 40k is a lot of tire target priority but that as you're shooting that is like resolved as you go right Mm -hmm. so you you know you know like oh i've shot three units into this person it's gone and it's dead i don't i can move on to the next Mm -hmm. in apoc you're gonna have to decide like yeah i might have put two three four five blast markers onto that you know warlord titan but he may make some saves so do i need to put more and then it just gobbles up more and more of your fire fire and I do believe that that's why um, troops will actually serve a purpose in Apocalypse because, yep. like, you're going to have to... It's going to soak up fire from all the big guns. I, I'm excited to try it, and I, I actually think, like, my first impressions are is it may, may be more enjoyable than playing 40K because it seems more yep. turn interaction. Yep. Yeah. That was actually something that I was going to touch on, too, was the the fact that we may try it and like it better than actual 40k. So, um, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen with it. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah. The, I think the thing that excites me the most is the, the fact that there's a damage phase. So all of, 
all yep. of the wounds are saved for at the end of the battle round. Yep. Um, so, you know, even if your model has a billion blast markers on it, you still get to activate it. You still get to shoot with it or fight with it or what have you. And then at the end, then you drop it off. Yep. Um, which is, which is pretty exciting. Cool. Um, and then also uh, building the deck. We'd be yeah. remiss to not ask, mention yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. So. Yeah. So, yep, there's a deck of orders and commands that you get. It, it looks like they're similar to the stratagems that we have in 40K now. Yep. Um, yeah, but you pick and draw where stratagems you kind of select as you go. This is right. like you're going to draw every turn, which is very similar. But there's going to be some cool strategy, as we all know. We love some deck building games, right? So. Yep. It's a pretty cool element. Yep. Uh, and I read the one on the demons book today, or the demons faction, that like the the denizens of the warp from that. Um, you basically get to take a unit that was destroyed, and you roll a d12, and I can't remember what the roll was, but you roll a d12, and like if you pass a certain roll, you get to put that unit back on the board. Um, Instead of just deep striking, you like you just get to put that unit back on the board. And if it fails, that's that card's not lost. You just put it right back into your deck. But you have to like shuffle your deck up again. So there's always a chance for you to have that to use if it doesn't work. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So speaking of powerful cards, let's move on to the next topic. Power Unbound. Da, 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 da. Segway. Um, <laughs> so this is the upcoming expansion for Warhammer Underworlds. Uh, pre-order tomorrow. We're recording Friday night, so pre-order tomorrow. Going live. I think some of the uh, um, more well-known content creators in the Underworlds community uh have their hands on some of the cards so uh you can probably expect some articles maybe videos about the cards um going live tomorrow in vain with the way that games workshop does things with pre-orders so once the pre-order is live you know then the content can come out so i think we'll get a bigger picture but um, from what we've seen so far it looks like there's uh some some pretty potent stuff in there um i made the really bad joke uh, in the group chat, Chase Trace was talking about how the cards seemed pretty powerful, and I, you know, went with the obvious. Would you say that their power was unbound? Unbound. Uh, yeah, so yeah, clever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, one standout for me. There's an upgrade for Yothari's Guardians for Onslaying, where she gets a shooting attack. It's range four, three hammers, two damage, and ignores dodges. It's one use only. Um, so there's a payoff there, but or a price to pay, but. Like, that's just one example uh, of several cards that have been leaked so far um, that look like they're going to be pretty potent. So, um, yeah. Um, having just recently played Stormsires, there's a bunch in here that I could... I was just like, they didn't need any help. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the FAQ helped them a lot, too, so... Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, so the focal formation I thought was really interesting because it's a objective score card that that you do after an activation. It's, it's immediate. Not, it's the it's first score immediate. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. First so like score you, immediately. So I mean, it would require you to like 
so I'm I would push somebody going into my phase onto an objective and then finish a move on the objective, uh, so that the activation was finished with them on the on the um, objective, and then you just score immediately one glory, just for having Rastus and Amos holding objectives. Yeah. Um, I could see it like I could see it potentially being not useful at a certain point because. Typically, like you're trying to push one of those guys out there to try and kind of body block a little bit. So um, there's pros and cons to it, but I think it, it's an excellent card. Like as far as like ease of scoring, and then obviously Sorcerer's Flourish is yeah. pretty bananas. Um, oh yeah. So uh, for those who don't know what that is, I'll I'll read it. It's um, reaction. Play this after resolving a spell cast by a friendly fighter that damaged one or more enemy fighters. Choose one of those enemy fighters that that, su- that fighter suffers one damage. So it's just a oh here's my sphere of sphere of hish or sphere of shaish or whatever. Actually, spell it. Actually, here's one damage, and as a reaction, here's another damage. Yeah, <laughs> like, but- so here, this is what I have, and I may be reading it wrong. I mean, it does have my my homeboy on the picture, Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter, and um, he's snapping his finger and burning a source. It is, but it says cat. it says resolving a spell cast, right? Yep. Like so, that is that is a gambit, and it's a spell attack action. Correct. So this is like trap, pit trap, twist a knife, but for spells. Right. Correct. Oh yeah. Um, and then the other one that kind of caught my eye was warning shot, which is the first one that I've seen that rewards you for missing an attack. Yeah. Um, from range three. Yep. Which needs to be in every deck I have. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, you do miss a lot of those range three attacks. So, but I, I'm a big fan of range of uh, warning shot as well for, um, you know, for the listeners just update, I've been playing a lot of eyes of the nine and that really helps me, you know, with, the two the two dangle bros narvia and turash turash there we go like yeah i'll i'll run in i'll score calculated risk and take a shot and hopefully miss Mm -hmm. yep that that rhymed on purpose nice (laughs) solid (laughs) so um and then for those monologue players i'm just gonna shout this one out there too spark of sentience um, it's an upgrade for the Stalag Squig. Um, reaction after this fighter's activation, draw a power card. Oh, um, get out of here. So he's actually super useful <laughs> if with that upgrade on. Um, I don't know if you're going to... Well, actually, I, you know, you might have to replace something now since you've got too many restricted cards with your uh, your um, Tome of Glory or your Tome of Offerings, Molog players. So... Um, might need to find a, a more generic upgrade to use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, I mean, all these cards are good. Um, but besides the two that I just gushed over, there's two other ones. So I like um, Overpower only because that is like Peerless Fighter for magical attacks. Yep. I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm you're not. a fan. You're a fan. I'm but not. I mean, I, I, you know... I like when they're when you roll crits, and I intend to do that. It does suck that it's only one glory, unlike Pyrrhus Fighter, where it's two. But at the same time, you're rolling magical dice, and it's one or more. It's not. It's not yeah. two. So. It doesn't require you to have two. It just requires a crit. Yep. 
And you want to roll crits on your spells with Yothari anyway. So, might as well. Um, And then the other one that I think is going to take a little bit of time for the community to really, like, you know, pick up, uh, and it's only going to be on fringe decks anyways, is Spirit Bound, which is like an upgrade and you put it on anybody and they're always considered to be a supporting fighter um, for attacks. And there are a lot of, like, glory, like, cards or objectives that, like, have two supporting fighters, have, you know, just different interactions with supporting fighters. Right. And that card can really help you score that. Yeah, that's true. So I, I was considered th- that. Yeah, I was thinking, like, gets like, you can, you know, skirt, like, charge and scurry into one and then have this on somebody in the back and you have two, like, I don't like... There, there's something there. I think it's just going to take some exploration, and plus, it could really help with accuracy with, with, uh, with warbands like the stupid dreaded Molog. So, oh gosh, I didn't even think about that one. Yep, you just put that on the Stalag Squig too, and now he's got an automatically su- automatic supporting fighter uh, <laughs> for the Spite Shroom. I would put it on the Spite Shroom because I'm usually, if I play Molog, I'm usually putting this the Stalag Squig in my opponent's territory anyway. Yeah. Jeez. Yep. Potent. Potent stuff. Yeah, these cards seem a lot better than the last, uh, you know, the leaders upgrade pack, so I'm interested to see the rest of them. I mean, I don't see a raptor strike in there anywhere. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Just here, free damage from four away. <laughs> Just take it. Take uh, it. Yep. Well, while we're on the Underworlds train, why don't we go ahead and hit the, uh, the errata and the FAQ Errata and designer's commentary, I think is what they call it now. So, um, Ding dong, relics are dead. Oh my gosh. Why you gotta make me sad? It is sad. It is sad that that, that, that style of play is lost. Um, but it had become, again, really easy for that, for that to be used again. Um, I think that that belongs just in, like, fun play. Uh... It just creates a really feel bad experience, I think, for players. It's a lot of work to do to get it to pull off, but um, yeah, yeah I, I would agree that when you get, you know, when you get the relics out and you're just scoring glory for no good reason, yeah. um, except you got some cards out, it yeah, it definitely can go bad. My my thing is is like I'm fine, like it's okay, like yeah, I was working on a relic deck for Godsworn that I could get four relics out without actually spelling like. Um, spending any glory but the um, the issue I have is just ban them like if you don't want that play style in yeah, the game agreed. just just ban the cards because like now you have you know what we have to get 12 glory 12 yeah, you glory to get, to, get... You to get 12 glory in order to score those other and yeah that's gonna be that'll be hard to do it's it's hard to do you know, except in turn three, um, I don't know. It, like, there's still there's still a way to do it. I'm not going to say that they're completely useless, useless. Oh yeah. But it becomes extremely hard. And if you're that dead set on against having that playstyle, just ban the cards. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. No, I'm with you. Calculated risk. Let's talk about that one. How it didn't change. How, oh, it's not restricted. It's not restricted. And how they and they how confirmed they, the uh, the way that it's played. Correct, because if you move through 
a damage hex and survive, you've considered, you've moved through, and then you can also move back in, and it does not, like, you still score the the card. Because you moved through a hex, survived, and then came back in. Yeah. So what Trace is talking about is the, the, the fact that you can score um, calculated risk and, and martyred, martyred in and the same martyred. activation. Yep. No, you cannot. Yes, you can. I page five question Uh-oh. if I meet the conditions of scoring a score immediately objective during an attack action do I score that card during that attack action and draw another objective card immediately though the, that part the last part's in a, a parentheses or um, something no when you meet the condition for a score immediately objective during an action you score the objective after that action has been resolved if that action is part of a charge action, you do not score the objective until after the charge action has been resolved. So, for me, calculated risk, you have to move through a damage hex, survive, and survive. If you move back in, he's now dead. Oh. Because you would not score that score immediately okay. until after the, the action is completed. So, okay, fair. However, in the designer's commentary, page Mm 8, universal cards objectives, calculated risk. Question, can I score calculated risk if the fighter's move action takes them through a lethal hex, which they survive, Mm -hmm. and then into a second lethal hex that takes them out of of action? Answer, yes. Yes. Oh, wait, so you mean there's a... Another conflicting statement within these two documents? Well, so what it's... I think what yours is saying is that you don't score calculated risk until after the move action has Correct. completed. Yeah. So you wouldn't be activation. able to you wouldn't be able to score it during the move and yeah. potentially draw into martyred and then right. score martyred. Yeah. You would have to have both calculated risk and martyred in martyred hand in to score hand. them both. Yeah. But what this question and answer is saying is that you can score calculated risk and martyred off of the same activation. Yeah. Mm. On that same page, though, is a question and answer that makes me angry. (laughs) How about them reactions? Huh? I guess we'll wait for it. We're still waiting for it. It's we're just building suspense as to what what exactly he was he was talking about um he's talking about the change to keep them guessing that's what he's talking about yeah i think we might have lost lost jared um so the change to keep them guessing he's back is he back? I'm back. How much of that? How much of my rant did got lost? You yeah. lost probably all 20, of it. 30 seconds. Yeah, it was I didn't all hear like, any of it. You're like, um, and there's something else on that page that. And I, I said, like, "How about them reactions, though?" <laughs> oh, nice. Like... And then I was gone. Okay, so apparently my technical uh, technical issues are not over. Anyway, so uh, I won't go through the whole thing again. I'll keep it short. Reactions on fighter cards do not count as actions for keep them guessing. So no more keep them guessing from any of the reactions on Yothari's Guardians. No more keep them guessing from Scurry. Yep. 
one. Yeah, the, I mean that like the scary, the scary, the scary, the scary was actually like they've kind of changed from a previous ruling. So it is cool that they'll go back and and make changes. Um, and I, I'm all for it. I think that the way that they're going with fighter cards is they are printing more and more reactions on the fighter cards instead mm-hmm. of actions, yep. which like, let's face it, man, like that card was way too easy for that specific faction to score. And with universals, it has to be kind of consistent throughout how the factions score them. That's fair. So what else has stood out? So I haven't dug into it fully, so it's going to take some time and we'll probably hear from it from other people. Um, but it looks like they're tightening up the reaction windows. They are. Um, yeah. Um, so um, I think there was one, I'm trying to find it, about... The aggressive defense, my turn. Yeah, well, so they, they went through... They went through that in detail. They did. Uh, yeah. Which is good. Um, but there was one about um, score, like uh, a spell action and an attack action where you wouldn't be able to score both or something. I can't remember now that I'm trying to read through how many ever pages of document this is now. I saw it and then I lost it. Um, yeah, it's all right. You're talking about the reaction windows and then yeah, it yeah. says like it's before, um, before the roll. Is that the one? Yes. So that was that. There was that one. It was um, before dice are rolled, and then before the attack roll. And they, those are the same window. Um, but there was yeah. another. It was potion rage and aggressive defense. Right. For, for reactions taken during an attack action are before any dice are rolled, and before the attack roll, the same reaction window. Yes. And then they've also reclarified like after. So do reactions that happen after. Attack actions, example, pit trap, share a reaction window with reactions like my turn since they both happen after the action despite the fact they have different conditions. Pit trap requires a fire to be driven back, and my turn requires the action to have damage done. Yes, they have the same reaction window. Okay, that's it. Thanks. Yeah, like, they are trying to dial in that reaction window, and really Mm -hmm. what it's coming through is, like, you're ending up with before... During and after, and right. like when they def- as they're defining these, it's like that is the action. Like so, it's before the action or after the action. So it it should clear up things, you know, like um, ghoulish pact and whatnot. Is because it's an after. Like my turn is yep. after. So after you complete the whole action of ghoulish pact, that's when my turn would kick in. So yeah. At least that's the way I understand it. So, no, I mean that sounds right. I'm glad they're doing that because I think that that I know that just the three of us have had many debates about when certain things happen. So, yeah, it's an excellent catch on their part. 
Right. I mean, they've clarified keep chopping, which makes me sad because I used yeah. to like that herd. Yeah. yeah, I really liked it for the dwarves too, for the sky dwarves. But so keep chopping is make four uh, attack actions with within activations. So things like my turn and your power step or aggressive defense, like because it's after the action, like do not right. count as being in an activation. Right. So they do not count towards keep them chopping, which really makes keep them chopping of like pretty much you have to attack four times with four activations. Right. What about reactions that are on the fighter card or an upgrade? It depends on if it's after. So it's if, if it's after an attack action, it's no longer in the activation, so it would not count. So, so like, like so, Enslain for for example, she gets right. to fire a second arrow. When does yeah. that happen? It's after the attack action. Okay. So right. it is not during an activation. Okay. Yep. But so it looks like like the reaction of what's the one where if you're get charged or they're in adjacency and you shoot. Stand and shoot. That's Stand yeah. and shoot counts. Because it's in within the activation. Yep. Okay. So. Yep. Another uh, another fan favorite of ours that got some serious FAQ, some serious uh, question and answering done was Baffling Illusion. Turns out we were playing it right all along. Yep. Um, so Baffling Illusion no longer prevents charges. Um. I like the comment at the end that note that a fighter that makes a charge action while baffling illusion is in effect will also gain a move token. So they get a charge token charge and a move. move token. That's right. So <laughs> it can, it can completely shut down Molog in one activation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, he can still swing now and if he's inspired, but right. But you know, he at least won't be able to move around anymore. Yeah. Um, does, it, does it say get a move token or counts as making a move? No, you Both. gain a move token, and it's yeah. and can and considered to be making a well, they're considered to be making a move action. So that means they would be count as two separate for keep them guessing. It would be a move and a charge. I don't know. When baffling illusion is in effect, and a fighter would make a move action, and therefore scatters as described on baffling illusion, are they still considered to be making a move action? Yes, but it doesn't say have made a move action. So I would say no. Okay. But right. Fainway Crystal and Inescapable Vengeance, the uh, Briar Queen upgrade, negate yep. Baffling Illusion. Mm. Yep. Yep. So, interesting things. Oh, um, one thing that is worth noting is that Gambit spells that do damage require line of sight. Uh, that's a change. That's yeah. New. Yeah, I kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like that a little bit, though. Like it's. Yeah. Like it completely goes against the way the game was designed from the get-go, but at the same time, it 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 helps with blocking line of sight boards. And I think it may be a boost to objective play just because objective play was so difficult to do. Like, you won't be able to, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Avasoth's Withering, where they take a... You have to be able to see the objective to cast it now, right? So, or no? I don't know that they would apply to that because technically that doesn't doesn't do damage. Withering removes, like, reduces the wounds. 
Oh yeah, um, to reduce withering to reduce. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Uh, Abysoth on making, which is re- take it away. But I think that that still doesn't apply because it's not a spell that does damage to a fighter. So I think that you can still pull the objective up without any issue because it doesn't actually target something and do a wound to it. Like, mm. Yeah, I'm trying to find the wording on it right now, which is yeah, really good radio. <laughs> it's all right. We're talking through it. Well, I mean, regardless, even if it's... Oh, only... okay. In addition, if a spell requires you to choose a fighter or fighters, the caster must have line of sight to the fighter or fighter okay. to choose. Okay. So it doesn't say objectives. Nope. It says if fighters. You would resolve. Yep. Yeah, page 13, casting spells. So this is an errata to the casting spells rule. So some spells require you to choose one or more fighters, card spells, objective tokens, or hexes. Hexes. Yep. In addition, yep. So you must have line of sight if you're targeting a fighter or fighters. Cool. Yep. I do like. Um, I know I mentioned it with the Ghoulish Pack, but they do define that, like with Ghoulish Pack, uh, um, can I play my turn or ready for action uh, as reaction after? M- my ghoulish pack resolves. Yes, you can play either of these reactions, but not both. So I'm very glad that that has finally been like, because people are trying to string them both together. Um, right. Glad that they define that. Yeah. I mean, all in all, like, there's a lot of good clarification in here. I don't think mm-hmm. it makes our game any simpler, but it was uh, it was definitely needed to breathe some life back into the game, change up the cards, and really they're starting to to further dial in the uh, few rules interactions where we had questions on. So Right. And then the new restricted. Yeah, so the new restricted deck. Tome of Offerings is restricted, which makes sense. Yep. And then I've seen a lot of, of pushback on, on Longstrider. Um, Chase, any thoughts on why Longstrider would be restricted? Oh, because super easy for Molog to score. <laughs> yep, yep. So it goes back to the no objective should be like significantly easier for a specific faction to score. Or if it is, maybe it should be restricted. Um, yeah, and you can use calculated risk as like the you know the gauge like that is extremely easy it's even more easier after the the uh quote-unquote clarification in these erratas and designer commentary like it is extremely easy for every faction to score but every faction to score where lawn strider was molog was like the only one that was easy because he controlled it I know that the the flying dwarves had a card that could do it and then of course like skaven and skeletons like it can be done, but you don't control it as well. Right. Yep. I mean, there's always ready for action or yeah. the potion of grace, but um, I think it makes sense. Maybe they should have restricted, keep them guessing instead of removing the ability for reactions to do it. That could be biased. I don't know. Maybe a little biased. That's a little biased. It's, it's probably a lot biased. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 
I mean, those uh, overall, I think that the changes they do a good job with those for the most part because it's a lot of rules to keep track of, and it's not just in one spot anymore. It's on all these different cards, and so it's just a lot of different places to try and keep up. So yep. I appreciate their efforts. Yep. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Any other any other standouts or comments before we move on to the next lightning strike? No, not th- I'm sure in future episodes we'll have more to talk about, but there are so many in here and uh yeah. we have to get you know there'll be more fun interactions to come so right mm-hmm. well and once all the power unbound cards get released and we've had some time to play with those i'm sure we'll have some some thoughts and comments on that so um so this one's a little bit more for me and trace but uh general's handbook 2019 yeah so um we talked earlier uh, in the season about how I'm working on Stormcast Eternals uh, with favoring the Vanguard Chamber, um, and most of the points on that dropped, um, including the Long Strike crossbows. <laughs> um, so that's definitely going to be something that Trace and I are going to have to look out for. So Long Strike crossbows are the they, they hit on twos, wound on threes. They do two mortal wounds. If they hit on a six, uh, instead of and then they're two damage like AP one or two or something stupid. Anyway, for those um, who for just to put it in perspective for anybody listening to this that has a little bit of Age of Sigmar knowledge or doesn't really know about this stuff, uh, it can kill any of the most powerful models in the game in one round of shooting. Yeah, yeah. A unit of nine does something like twenty four wounds. Yeah. Unsaved wounds. Un- unsaved wounds, yeah. Yeah. Against the hardest targets, um, which includes our Bloodthirster. So yes. it's going to be something that we're going to have to plan for in the Age of Sigmar Doubles in Nova, is yeah. the idea that nine little dudes with their sniper crossbows are going to be popping into our backfield and trying to snipe out our Bloodthirster. Yeah. We're going to have to really plan for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but on the positive side, mm-hmm. Trace, what, what's mm-hmm. going on with the beasts? Uh, for our entire force, uh, as far as like they, they always they always do like an errata to the GHB a couple weeks after, so we may still see some points changes um, post, but um, nothing in our list went up, nothing, um, nope. which is awesome. Uh, if anything, we gained a few points, so I'm hoping that we can get it to where. We can start with uh, an additional purchased command point. Um, that is one thing that they changed in this edition, um, where you cannot purchase more than one command point. So you can't. Oh. So if you if you have battalions, you get a command point for those. Like those are still considered. So the command point is kind of like a. I look at it as in the value of what you pay for the battalion, right? So, right. Um, so like the one that we're running costs 190 points. The one that I'm running for the beast costs 190 points, but it really costs 140 because I'm getting an extra command point for 50, which is what GW really values those command points as. Right. Um, so you cannot have more than one quote-unquote purchased command point for starting underneath your desired points level gotcha. um, in the new book. So that's just something to think about um, for us. Um, yeah. 
but I'm hoping that with some of the changes that they make, if we do have the, the chance to do that, then we can start the game with a couple of command points and guarantee that we get a unit that we want to get out on turn one to help us box out those nasty, nasty shooting things. Um, Caradron Overlords dropped a whole lot, so we'll probably see those um, at Nova. Um, all their boats went down. All the troops went down just about the... So there's there's some interesting builds that I've been I've been seeing some people talk about that may pop up there too. Iron Jaws, we'll probably see some Iron Jaws because Iron Jaws got some pretty pretty hefty points drops. Um, trying to think of any other high level things. All the new missions are different, so um, all the missions that are in there. They have mostly the same objectives, but every single one of them that had the same objectives has had their deployment changed. Oh, great. So, um, so like, you still have Knife to the Heart, but Knife to the Heart now starts with, like, a different deployment. So you, it's not the same, quote-unquote, scenario as it was. Um, yeah. Which is good. I like it because cool. I like the way they do that because they keep it fresh. Um, but yeah, so those are kind of my high-level thoughts. Did you have anything that you wanted to kind of touch yes, on other than uh, just the Stormcasts? Uh, yeah, just the Stormcasts, the Vanguards going down, so that'll make things interesting, I guess, post-Nova when I actually get to play them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's always exciting to see them keep things fresh to shake up the meta. Um, so um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what shakes out in the next couple of months as we yep. lead up to Nova. I am uh, definitely going to be keeping my fan- my ears to the to the ground of the competitive no or the competitive age of sigmar scene to kind of prepare mentally for what we might see yeah um speaking of nova they doubled the number of tickets that they're allowing for the doubles event so um we may actually have a larger portion of that hall than we did last year because there was probably there was easily 40 people playing yeah, you probably um, had like a quarter of the hall last year, and I think yeah, I think we'll probably have like half this year. Yeah, half most likely. That's exciting. So that'll be interesting to see and see how we can do with that many more contestants injected into the to the thing. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. All right. So last lightning round. This is really more for Jason and Trace. So uh, some rules previews for the uh, repulsor executor. Is that right? Uh, sounds Repulsor right. Repulsor Executioner. Executioner. Yeah, and then the Scorpius Dune Rider or Scorpius. What's the tank? I can't remember. No, oh, come on, Trace. Sorry. Dune Rider and Scorpius Disintegrator. Disintegrator. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So, Jason, how about that Executioner? I, I'm real excited about it. I mean, you know it. It is definitely going to fill a need for um, the Space Marines and being able to just shoot large baddies. Um, you know, if they don't necessarily have a ton of tools to do that, um, it'll definitely do that, <laughs> right? So, it's like the large laser destroyers, like range forever in a day. It's twice, <laughs> twice, twice uh, heavy two. So shooting twice, strength ten, AP minus four, D six. But here's the kicker: is that when you're rolling in damage, if it goes through, 
on a you're automatically going to have D three. Period. No. So it's like, a it is a more reliable neutron laser is what it is. Yeah. Because the neutron laser on the Onager Dune Crawler for Admech does exactly has exactly the same profile. So it's strength ten minus four AP, D six damage, no lower than a three ever. Right. Yeah. But it's a D three shot weapon instead of just a flat two shot weapon. Right. And it doesn't get double shots if it's it's still like the, your, your new one does. Yeah. yeah, so that's the other cool thing is it has kind of like you know the Imperial Guard heavy tanks. If you move, if you do not move or move less than half its move characteristic, you can shoot its main gun twice. So I'm re- shooting four shots, strength ten, AP four, you know, damage three plus up to six maybe like. That's a lot of wounds at a really high AP. <laughs> yeah. That's um, cool. So, cool. So, so you're saying you're, you're probably going to build it with the heavy laser destroyer instead of the macro plasma incinerator? Yeah, I mean, the macro the macro plasma incinerator, like, it's going to serve a function. I mean, it's still, it's a heavy D6, so you're a little less reliable. But shooting it twice, you could have up to 12 shots with a, a plasma gun. Um I'm sure there are some applications for that people like that. I really want the heavy destroyer. I just like the way it looks. I may magnetize it to put the plasma on it, but I highly doubt it. Now I just need to see how how many people it can carry. So it's probably going to be like five or six because um, it does say that it, it, it sacrifices some of its transport capacity. For a murderously powerful turret weapon. Yep. That's a direct quote. Yeah, so... <laughs> so <laughs> given that it has some capacity what uh what are you thinking you would put in it if anything uh it, you know honestly like i mean your first thing is like oh it's transport get it up the board but i i think that this is more of like a backfield style unit um so maybe just regular marines that you can insulate so they don't die to normal fire uh firepower um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe I just run them, run them right up there and shove whatever's in there down your throat. Nice. <laughs> could work. Just, it could, because like with the other weapons, it still has like the traditional, you know, Gatlin cannon style and some heavy bolters and stuff like that on it. So it still can get in there, um, and just be a menace to infantry as well. Um, so yeah. There's nothing stopping you from running up, and I'm sure it's going to have the same repulsor stats and stuff where, you know, it's, it has fly, and if someone goes to charge it, it's negative modifier to their charge roll. So there's no hindrance, and if it holds six, you could still put some aggressors with flamers in there and get them up there. Uh, the problem is, is the more and more you put into that tank, the more and more of a threat it becomes, and the, it's still going to be on a, a, you know, I'm assuming it's still going to have a D3 save, or D, uh, D3, uh, three plus save. Um, so, you know, you don't want to give them every reason to shoot it. Right. Um, but I, I'm excited to get it on the table and blow up some knights. Nice. I uh, just put Might of Heroes on it. You'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. Make it Toughness 9. <laughs> You're fine. It would help a lot against a lot of the anti-take weapons. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So what, so what about the scor- scorpii? The scorpi, yeah, the scorpii, plural, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, I mean, really intrigued by both. Um, 
the the Dune Rider moves twelve, which is a little bit more than I thought it would be. I would figure it would I figure it would be in the more of the ten range, but getting an extra two inches out of it is nice. Um, and it has a infantry shredding set of guns, which I was joking about earlier today. Shredding. Um, Shredding. So it has a total of has a twin twin heavy stubber on it and two heavy stubbers. For those of you listening that know what a heavy stubber does, it's just a bolter. Like don't just yeah, it's just a bolter. Strength four, one damage, no AP. Um, it's got a thirty six inch range, I think, on those. Um, but they're they're not infantry shedding. <laughs> um. But twelve shots total is is nice. Like it's it's a decent amount of firepower. But the ten transport capacity is nice, and just them confirming that it's not just limited to Skitari, which is nice. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the models that you really want to put in there are going to be, um, like electro priests and stuff like that. Um, what I'm waiting to find out though is whether or not it's considered to be open topped. Because if it is, then that makes it a lot more interesting from a firepower point of view. Because you can have your Skitari doing drive-bys. That's um, true. So, which would be infantry shredding. <laughs> that, yeah. uh, you know, if you have a unit of 10 Skitari in there and three of them have plasma calibers and they're all shooting. There's six plasma shots in addition to uh, 21 additional arc rifle shots yep i think that that's uh or not arc rifle but um radium carbine shots coming out of there that's that it that's a lot of shots um especially when those radium carbines automatically do two wounds on a roll of six to wound um yeah that that can really convert you some damage so i'm interested to see if that's if that's the case for that um and as far as the the heavy tank goes um it's got some interesting some interesting sh- stuff on it. I think um, it does not get to shoot twice if it doesn't move more than half. Um, that's okay. Uh, but it's got a pretty decent missile launcher on it that's on every variant of it. Uh, D6 shots, strength 7, minus, minus 1 AP, I believe, and D3 minus damage. Two. Minus two? Okay. Uh, I'm not looking at it on the on the site, so I'm just kind of recalling it from memory. Um, but, I mean, that's that's a nice little staple weapon. Um, and then the the cannon, I forgot the name of the cannon, the... Fahrenheit cannon. Fahrenheit cannon, that's right. Uh, it seems pretty nice. Um, good range. Um, three shots flat. Strength eight, minus three AP, and flat three damage. I'll take that all day. I think that's a good solid flat three damage. The flat three is awesome. Um, that's the second weapon in the army that allows you to do a flat three. So like if you have a nice um, gun line set up where you have three honor gradoon crawlers and three of those, I mean that's that's a lot of firepower going down range. Um, and it, and it frees up the dune crawlers to do something that they do well already, which is to like use the Icarus autocannons and stuff that they have the more anti-air it doesn't require you to have those and have you know doesn't require you to have six of those to do that you can now put these and that are more mobile 
into that role where they can move around and shoot, where they can just sit at the back and just shoot Skyfire stuff. Um, and then it's got three heavy stubbers on it. Watch out. There's that infantry shredding capability again. Shredding. Um, and then it's got the other option, which I think is really interesting. Um, it's a... Uh, you have to call the name out for me because I can't remember it. But it's... Um, the it's, Bellicos Energy Cannon? Yeah, the Energy Cannon. It doesn't require line of sight, which is really cool. It's 36-inch range, so on a platform that moves 12 inches a turn, you know, I think that that's going to be... You know, you've got a 48-inch threat range. Um, it doesn't require you to see anything, but it's strength 6, minus 1 AP, and flat 2 damage, and it's 3d3 shots. So no more, no less than 3, but, I mean, up to 9 shots. I mean, that's potential for 18 damage um, coming out of that weapon. Um, I don't think it's really... I think it kind of sits in a weird place, because, like, you don't really want to use it for anti-tank and you know it's it's good for anti-infantry really to me it's a primaris killer wounds primaris really easy has a flat two damage so when you get one through with that minus one it you know it'll kill a marine um i think that that's uh i don't know why the admech would be shooting at the space marines but you know um but that's really kind of where it sits for me is that kind of more elite infantry killer um just because of the flat two damage and forcing yeah. those saves um but i think i think that they're solid picks we won't i can't really give my 100 percent approval or denial um until i see the points though um yeah. if they make that transport 120 points for all 12 shots that it gets of infantry shredding firepower i right. I would, I will not be purchasing. Um, if it sits around the same points level as like a Chimera or a Rhino, sure. I, you know, the 70, 75 point range, that's where it needs to be. Um, now I will say I would, I would buy it points wise for like the 90 to 95 range. If it allows you to shoot out of the top of it. Yeah. I will say that. Um, but if it does not allow that, it needs to sit in the same price threshold as those two vehicles um and then the tank i think is going to be around the same as the onager which will be around the 120 130 point range probably if i had to guess so yeah. Do, does admec have any more or any other indirect fire options other than that not really um which is interesting um so that's the first that they've gotten so I think they're just trying to add a unit that brings them in line with a lot of the other forces that that you can do that with. Um, I know Death Guard have it because the the Plague Burst Crawler can do it, Tyranids can do it. Yeah, almost um, everybody else. That that was gonna be my point. Almost yeah. everybody else can do indirect mm-hmm. fire. So that was kind of cool that one kit kind of serves two purposes. They didn't have a dedicated transport and yep. they didn't have indirect fire. So yep. So I'm I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a cool vehicle. It's it's a little pricey as far as points as far as uh, dollars go though. Um, it costs the same as an actual Land Raider, uh, which is not cheap. Um, but yeah, I mean the same depends. can be said for the the Repulsor too. It's more yeah. money. And I'm still going to buy it anyway. But it is sad that there was a about a 
10 to $15, what looks to be a price tax on these two mm-hmm. uh, units. So Yeah, they're like, hey, you bitched about this transport enough. We, may, we gave you one, but now you got to pay for it. So, no. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about them. I think they're going to be interesting additions, and I'm interested to see what the rest of the rules look like because those are just like the top level rules that yeah. we got today. Yep. Cool. Yeah. What well, are your thoughts on them, Jared? Like, um, I know that you're not really invested in either of them, but as an opponent, what do you think? Like, how do you, how do you prepare for those things? Um, go buy the apocalypse box. So I have something to shoot. Yeah, true. Yeah. Go stop, buy some more monsters. There you go. Um, just throw Gene Steelers at them. I mean, I feel like that's the standard tuner response. <laughs> Just enough nah, sailors will will take anything down. You'll just kill them with impaler cannons from across the board that we can't see. Yeah, actually, yeah, I'll do my indirect <laughs> fire versus your indirect fire. Yeah, yeah. The 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 toughness six on the admech transport is a little interesting. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's going to help keep the cost down. Yeah, it will. Um, and none of the admech vehicles are, I would I would say, are super tough. Um, right. Like. You have the dune, the the chicken walkers that are all toughness six. Um, you know they serve a very specific purpose. Right. Um, um, the I, the one the other version of that I don't really have any of uh, at the moment, which is the the more like gun platform for those. Um, I would be interested in getting some of those at some point, but they're uh, they they have some interesting rules just because they can amp up their ballistic skill, which I, which you're going to be able to do on these other vehicles. If they have this Katari keyword, nah. you're going to be able to like, especially since they have a broad spectrum data tether, as they described, like you can push the ballistic skill on the infantry shredding firepower of the transport to two plus. To there hit. you go. So um, it'll be supremely accurate, but you're probably not going to get a lot of damage through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's going to be, I think they're going to be cool. Yeah, I will definitely get one or two of them. Yeah. Or if we do play a lot of Apocalypse, you'll need 12. Yep. Probably. Mm, I'll just bring my knights at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you'll need your knights and 12 of those transports. Two separate detachments. That's right. Now you get two activations per action phase. Mm. Mm. Um, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is called a call- callback. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have anything else. I think we covered everything in the lightning round, which was still probably an hour. Is saying. Now I can hear what they're saying. Uh, Were you guys able to hear me? I was not. Nice. Good times. Oh, technical difficulties. So good. Um, Yeah, well, before things mess up any further, why don't we wrap this section up, take a break, and when we come back, we'll close out the show. Sounds good. Welcome back, and uh, that'll round out our show. So, uh, like always, we just want to say thanks for listening. Um. You know, we we appreciate everybody that's taking the time to keep up with us to to 
come along with us on this journey and and hear about what we're doing and and taking our advice and ignoring it because it's garbage or taking it to heart because it actually means something. Um, if you uh, haven't already, you know, give us a, a shout and a follow on on Facebook or Battle Mallet Podcast or Battle Mallet Pcast on Instagram. Um, Battle Mallet One on Twitter, and then we have a uh, a Discord server um, that hopefully we'll be frequenting again soon uh, as things settle down from the uh, the seasonal changes and moves and birthdays and uh, all, all the things, things like life. yeah, all things life. Um, if you really like what you hear um, and you want other people who might not be specifically within our regional community to have a chance to hear it. One of the best ways to do that is to give us a, a review uh, on Facebook or iTunes. So those five-star reviews really put us in front of um, anybody that's looking for content. Um, so any of those re reviews would be greatly appreciated. Um, so with that, I, I think I think we'll close out. Anybody have any closing thoughts, any closing remarks? Uh, yeah, I, I, like I'll give a closing remark, you know, stay tuned soon for, for one of our upcoming episodes. We did take some time to continue to work on, on that 40 K narrative. And I'm real excited to get that kicked off. And, uh, especially with APOC coming. Yeah, you know, that should be good. Um, I was going to say something about heed the heralds of the apocalypse or something like that <laughs> oh yeah can we give well um so this was a battle mallet podcast episode eight arcane implosion coming to you from three dads and a big dipper uh this is jared signing out this is trace signing out i'm jason tabled new murray peace Battle Mallet Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. If you have further questions as to its use, you can find more information via links on podcast.battle-mallet.com. Music by Anno Domini Beats. And he's gone. talk about current events and we do it <laughs> rapidly i'm assuming i was dying i did that i had no audio in the middle of that yep yeah. just laughing because i timed it perfect nice <laughs>